0: Ah, good morning, ma'am. It's Sterling Fox for Jill Bennett. 7.33 in the rain. Kyla Lee is with us now. Kyla is a lawyer with the Acumen Law Corporation and with pot legalization less than, well, three weeks away, some police forces are opting out of using the roadside marijuana testing device known as the Draeger 5000. And some police forces includes... Vancouver police, a force, uh, Chief Adam Palmer paid a visit here to CKNW and spoke to Linda Steele just a couple of days ago saying, nope, not going to be used in Vancouver. Kyla Lee, good morning.
1: Good morning. Thank you for
0: having me. Uh, it's good to have you back with us, Kyla. Vancouver police aren't going to use the Draeger 5000. Uh, we understand why Edmonton isn't, because uh, apparently this device doesn't really, isn't uh, reliable at a temperature below plus four Celsius. And every Canadian knows that plus four Celsius is only maybe six months of the year in Edmonton, and the rest of the year is spent well below that temperature. So it's understandable there, but we're not that cold Why did VPD turn it down?
1: Uh, Vancouver police were also concerned about the reliability. There are some times where we we dip below 4 degrees Celsius. But another concern they expressed was the bulkiness of the device. I mean, this thing is about the size of a, a Keurig coffee maker. Okay. And police vehicles are already crammed with all sorts of things that they have to carry around. They've got... Um, You know, tactical equipment, breath testing devices. They've got uh, all of their computers and and, um, gear that they need. It's another piece of equipment that they would have to find a place for. Mm -hmm. And due to its operational requirements, a very specific place for in the police vehicle. So I can understand the concerns about its bulkiness.
0: Okay, so that's that's one thing. It's just uh, physically uh, a little more difficult than they need to deal with right now. So but it's the as I understand it, it's the only device so far approved by the government of Canada, the same government that, of course, has legalized pot. So in the absence of an alternative, what will Vancouver and other police forces who have taken a pass on this Drager unit? What will they do?
1: They'll be using something called the standardized field sobriety test. This is a mechanism that we've had in the criminal code even prior to cannabis legalization, and it's a- of the three uh, psychomotor coordination tests that are done at the roadside to assess somebody's physical ability and their cognitive ability.
0: Okay, so that's the old touch your, uh, touch your uh, nose with the, tippy, or the tip of your nose okay. with your finger, all that stuff. But then that is a, a, a well-known uh, protocol for testing for alcohol impairment. Is it as reliable for cannabis impairment?
1: it's not in fact the the validation studies that have been done about the test have found that it's not reliable as a predictor for impairment by cannabis but I, I, I don't disagree with the use of them notwithstanding that and the reason is they're not admissible as evidence in court for anything other than grounds to arrest a person okay and and there's a component of the test that doesn't factor into the scoring where the officer does assess your responses to the instructions that makes an assessment of your cognitive ability so if they're bearing that in mind as they're administering the test and if that's going into how they're making their determination at the end about whether or not to arrest i think the assessment of cognitive ability is probably something that is is good enough for the purpose for which it would be used.
0: Okay, now this assessment that you just mentioned, would this be done by a police officer who has received drug recognition expert status, having passed a series of tests and taken a course? Or will any roadside cop be able to make that assessment?
1: Not any cop and not any uh, individual with DRE training. There's specific training for the SFST uh, tests as well. Uh, any DRE officer will have the SFST training because the SFST is a component of the DRE ultimately. Um, but uh, it's a much shorter training program. I've taken it. It takes about two days um, and it's uh, it's only three tests. So there's not that much they have to learn.
0: Okay. And by the time, uh, and we, well, October 1st is tomorrow. Tomorrow and the 17th is officially the legalization date. What percentage of uh, Canadian police in any department, including Vancouver, will have taken that course and be drug recognition experts?
1: I We don't really know because they're still working on the training. Their goal was to have had 2,000 officers trained across Canada and they are far short of that goal. Um the studies that they've done have suggested that they need one officer per uh, 100,000 people. And that's not looking like they're going to be anywhere close. But it does look like most major police forces are going to have enough DRE officers trained to have a couple on every shift.
0: Okay, so now in terms of, of policing this matter, and and you know this has been going on for a couple of years, and you and I have talked about this on the radio uh, more than a few times over the last couple of years. The notion that, that police didn't have and weren't weren't satisfied with the kind of device that would replicate a breathalyzer. You pulled over, you blow into the machine, and thirty seconds later, you're either there or you're gone, <laughs> and, and and it's right there, right for everybody to see. There is there anything coming? down the pipe that might replicate that machine in the in the weeks and months ahead.
1: Oh, there's lots coming down the pipe. It, right now there seems to be a race in the development of quick technology to assess for either cannabis impairment or high concentrations of THC in the body um, to give police that tool. Right. And once we have legalization, that race is going to speed up because people are going to be able to lawfully dose subjects and test them and get uh, get results better. So I think we're going to see something very soon that's more effective. It's just a matter of, of of waiting for it. And the VPD and many other police forces are, are sort of indicating that that's what they want to do. They want to see what else comes out in the coming months and
0: years. We're speaking with Kyla Lee, who is a criminal defense lawyer with the Acumen Law Corporation here in Vancouver. Uh, Kyla, uh, uh, you know, uh, you and I have also talked about the likelihood of legal challenges uh, that are just going to be a Niagara Falls in Canadian courts once this thing is legalized. What is likely to be the most challenged aspect of cannabis legalization on, on the morning of October 18th?
1: I think the blood concentration regulation for THC, how much THC you're allowed to have in your body, and the reason why is not only does it disproportionately affect medical users who will have high concentrations of THC in their system and not be impaired by it, but also the science doesn't support uh, impairment by THC based on a concentration in the blood. In fact, I, I was looking at some studies recently that showed that if you eat your cannabis, your blood concentration of THC will be very low, but the impairing effects are greater versus if you smoke it, you get high concentrations but less impairing effects and for a much shorter period of time.
0: So it isn't as cut and dried as either you're hammered or you're not with booze, is it?
1: It's not. The body treats THC and and all of the other uh, cannabinoids very differently than the body treats alcohol. And so you see a huge difference in the way that your body reacts to it, as well as the way that the, uh, that the drug actually shows up in blood concentration.
0: Interesting. Kyla, can you, t- you run us through what, uh, the protocol is right now for any cop anywhere in British Columbia, let's talk about here in Vancouver, to pull a person over for suspected impairment, uh, impairment of any kind. Impaired is impaired is impaired from the point of view of a police officer going, well, there's erratic driving, there's weird behavior. I'm going to pull this guy over. And, uh, and- Are there any differences with respect to alcohol impairment and cannabis impairment from that perspective?
1: There are differences as soon as October 17th hits because the government has removed the requirement for breath testing for alcohol that police form a reasonable suspicion there's alcohol in a person's body before doing a breathalyzer test. So if you get pulled over, the police can ask you to do a breathalyzer test with no grounds whatsoever. Okay. But if they want you to do a roadside saliva test or a standardized field sobriety test, they have to have a reasonable suspicion that you have a drug in your body. Now, it'll actually be easier after October 17th for police to come to that conclusion because they can rule out alcohol by doing the breath test on everybody and then go, okay, well, if you're still acting weird, it must be a
0: drug. Okay. Now, um, as far as the individual, when he or she gets pulled over by the uh, for, again, you know, you get the red lights and the siren, you, off, over you go, and uh, you roll down your window. And what's the problem, officer? Well, we uh, we we think you're impaired, or whatever they say. Uh, at that point, before. Any conversation goes on much beyond you've been pulled over because we noticed you you were driving erratically. At that point, does the person who's been pulled over at least have the opportunity to pull out the cell phone and call her lawyer?
1: No, unfortunately uh, not. The law has put a limitation on your right to counsel. Um, It's suspended during these brief roadside interactions for the purposes of determining sobriety, as long as the roadside interaction is brief. So if the police are delaying the implementation of roadside testing, we're delaying asking you to participate in the roadside testing, then your right to counsel is triggered. Okay. But generally speaking, it's suspended during those, those moments.
0: So what is delay? I, I, I know this is, this is going to be a fine point, and you and lots of other lawyers are going to make a few bucks arguing it, but what is a reasonable delay uh, amount of time? What would you suspect it would be?
1: Well, the courts have been very reluctant to put a number on it, but you can find cases where the delay as short as five minutes has offended the charter right to counsel.
2: Hmm.
1: I mean, I wouldn't go about yelling for your lawyer if you've only been delayed for five minutes. Right. Probably will we'll run into more problems in that circumstance. Sure. But if you're getting into 10 or 15 minutes, that's a significant period of time. And that's an amount of time, I think, where, where people should be questioning whether they have the right to a lawyer
0: okay and uh if that amount of time passes and nothing has happened you're still on hold uh then you can can you just make the call or do you have to ask permission at the roadside to make the call
1: i think you can make the call um and then it becomes an issue for the officer to have to deal with as long as you're polite about
0: it and bob from chilliwack is our first caller this morning bob good morning
2: Oh, and good morning to you. Um, I, get, uh, well, I guess it forms a question. If we already have uh, drug-impaired risk already installed, and it is installed, so why wasn't some of this work being done to find a way to deal with it on the impaired detection side leading up to the point? Why did we wait until something became legal? And secondly, I'm wondering if the government chose this device because it promises to test for more substances. And I found out on the Linda Steele show a couple weeks ago, apparently... Uh, the way it's sampled, you get a preserved DNA uh, sample that's uh, that can be held as a result of it. I wonder if that's the reason why they chose this particular machine, despite its other
0: shortcomings. Interesting. Excellent call, Bob. Great stuff. And Kyla, were you the person on the Linda Steele show that talked about that that Bob heard?
1: Yes, I was. and uh, I don't think that they chose it with some ulterior motive about preserving DNA in mind. Um, the decision to approve this device was made by uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Um, it wasn't a decision that was made by a police force. So I, I doubt that that was at the forefront or even the back of her mind at the time she approved it. Um, as far as your other question about the roadside testing for impairment and why this is only being done in the ad, uh, advent of legalization.
0: Basically acknowledging I, I, a rather poorly thought out game plan.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I agree with that. I, I mean,. To suggest that there's going to be a crisis after legalization has been something that I've just been boggled by because we all know that we're not inventing cannabis as of October 17th. People have been smoking it in this country for hundreds of years. Uh, It's been used for a long time, and people have been using it and getting behind the wheel. It's Mm -hmm. just acknowledging that there's been either a problem that they've not been dealing with or that there's not actually a problem and they don't need this, this new tool and these new rules to deal with cannabis impaired driving
0: right and just uh, before we go to ed in vancouver to follow up on bob's question about and this this didn't even occur to me until the conversation you and i had a, a month or two ago this notion of taking the sample with this drager saliva collecting device which ultimately as bob says leaves your dna in the hands of local law enforcement. Are there, is there language in the law, Kyla, that says once the, DNA, once the sample has been taken and tested and all the results uh, acknowledged, the sample is destroyed, or is that ambiguous?
1: It's ambiguous. There's no limit uh, in the law on what happens to the sample. It doesn't say you can take it and have your own independent testing. It doesn't let you uh, let you do anything with it or demand it back. With your blood, if they take a blood or a urine sample, you can demand that back. There's a court application process for it. Right. There's limiting language for your blood test, but there's not for a saliva sample.
0: Hmm, and that's kind of spooky, isn't it? You just it is. Yeah, you know, it's, it's DNA, and uh, you know, it's it, it, it uh, the the information contained therein can last a very very long time. In whose hands we wonder. Ed in Vancouver. Good morning to you, sir.
2: Good morning. I, I have a couple of things. I and I. I have uh, I was lucky, I was, and I think a lot of people probably would identify with this. I think most people over the age of 40 have probably gotten their vehicles when they shouldn't have after having some alcohol.
0: That's a fair and point. I'm
2: one, I'm one of them. I've done it a few times, but I haven't in the last 30 years or so. Uh, and I have to tell you, I, I'm torn on this one. I want to make sure that the roads are safe. Mm-hmm. So a simple thing like if there's any odor of marijuana in the vehicle, I think that should be an automatic roadside suspension. I think I also think that until the testing is is sufficient where you can't challenge it the way that it will be challenged if they move forward with the current apparatus, then you don't do it. But I, I also think that as a lawyer, your job is to make sure that you, you help the person get off the charges or that are being put against them. But some days do you wonder, maybe this guy is guilty or this woman is guilty, and I'm doing something maybe I shouldn't be doing? I know it's kind of a bizarre question, but I, I, you know, it's like innocent until proven guilty, but in the back of your mind, you know. And I also think it'd be great to have a, a camera, a body camera on every cop who's going to be doing this testing As
0: secondary evidence. All right, Ed, you've raised a few points there, and all good ones. I thank you for that. So Kyla, let's go through those points uh, one at a time.
2: Okay, well,
1: body cameras, I completely agree with you. Yeah, here, here. yeah, there have been lots of studies done that have shown that um, body cameras actually make policing safer. People behave differently when interacting with the police when they know they're being recorded, mm-hmm. and police also behave differently when they know they're being recorded. So body cameras generally are better for everyone, and I fully support the use of them. Um, even Cash Heed, the former uh, West Vancouver uh, chief of police, uh, is also in support of them. So, um, you know, he's a huge advocate for those.
0: And- and what about the smell? Any smell at all? If you whiff, uh, catch a whiff of pot in a vehicle, that, Bob says, alone, all by itself, should be uh, grounds for an immediate suspension.
1: I don't agree with that. And the reason is there's a huge distinction between the smell of smoked cannabis. Uh, which might indicate you know, that somebody's recently been smoking it, and the smell of fresh cannabis. We do have rules in this province around how much and when you can transport cannabis in your vehicle, but because you're entitled to have it in your car, there may be the smell in your car, and it may have nothing to do with anything that's in your body. Uh-huh. Um, and without the ability to have the smell of cannabis in your car, people are going to have a lot of difficulty lawfully purchasing their cannabis and then taking it home.
0: OK. Uh, and uh, as far as and back to the earlier point about a poorly thought out game plan, uh, I, I don't know that there are many Canadians that are on the uh, cusp of this all coming down are, are looking at, at the, what's about to happen, including all the lawsuits and go, geez, why didn't they think of this? Why didn't they think of that? It's you know, they were in such a rush to do it. They just they got it done before, well, filling in all the, the blanks.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's it's going to be very interesting days after October 17th, and I look forward to them. I'll
0: bet you do. Kyla Lee, thank you for this this morning. Great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me again.